the church was born. And it's not celebrated in the world at all. I don't see anybody with, you know, tinsel and lights and everything. The church is born. The church is alive. No. It was just a very quiet thing that happened. But actually, ironically, in the event, the actual event, it turned a whole city crazy. Well, not really crazy, but there was a lot of excitement at what came to be the church was born by the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised the disciples that if he goes away, he will send the Holy Spirit and that they were to go and wait in Jerusalem. And they did. And it was quite amazing that they had lost their leader, Jesus Christ, whom they had been following for several years. And many who really acknowledged that for centuries, this person, this Messiah, was coming to set his people free. And then they watched him come to the cross and end what they thought, this can't be. This can't be. We trusted in him. But all the words that he had said to them, particularly in the Gospel of John, of what was going to happen. But you know how it is when we are kind of uh, in the dark. We don't understand what is happening around us. And then, have you ever had a surprise birthday party (laughs) on your behalf for you? But they had lost that one who was so anticipated. The time of what Jesus had predicted and scripture had predicted for many, many years. This one, the Lamb of God, Jesus, had come to be the Messiah. And he had then been crucified and buried. But surprise of surprises, he was alive. And for 40 days, he walked with them and showed himself to them. They were just elated. They couldn't believe it. Well, yes, they did believe it, but they couldn't believe it. You know how that is when, like when we're talking about Abby being uh, healed? I mean, that was some accident, that just unbelievable accident. And here she is, well, and here in Japan with her parents and her family. Anyway, the promise from the Father. Jesus went to heaven, ascended. And before he did, he told them, go and stay in Jerusalem and wait. You know, waiting is, uh, is a hard thing, isn't it? Waiting is really hard if you're an expectant mother or an expectant father. We have to wait and wait, and the baby's not coming, and we wait. And we start getting anxious, and we call the hospital, and we call the doctor. What's going on here? It's two weeks past. It's okay, just relax, relax. Babies have their own time. Jesus said, go and wait. 
you know what? I found that Jesus says that a lot in my life. Have you found that too? He'll say, I hear what you're praying, but wait. Wait. Well, from what happened to the early church, and he told them to wait, it was worth waiting for. And a surprise birthday party is worth waiting for. Let's read uh, this account in Acts. Well, first of all, I'll give you my outline. Church is born in unity. Church is born in prayer. And the church is born to proclaim. Acts 1, 12 to 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or other in other languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished and saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya, around Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues, our own language, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. The church is born by the promise from the Father. Jesus had said in John 15:26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And in John 16:7, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. And if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. Jesus clearly gave them a heads up to understand what was going to happen 
when he had ascended to heaven, which he did a few days later. The church was born in unity. For they were all of one mind. In other words, they really had not been of one mind previous to that. There was Peter who was impetuous. There was John who was always clinging to Jesus. There was Thomas who, if I don't see him with my own eyes and touch him, I won't believe. And then Thomas did. These guys were a ragtag group of people. But I shouldn't really call them ragtag because each one of them were divinely appointed to be the disciples of Jesus. Because Jesus had prayed all night long before he decided who would be his disciples. And he then chose each one of them. And all but one of them had stayed with him to the end. But they were men just like you and I. Men and women that followed Jesus were just like you and I. No different. They weren't saints in the kind of common uh, definition we have of saints that, oh, oh, they're, they're saints. No, they were ordinary men. With all of the warts and pimples and limps and pains and ugliness that we have, they were ordinary men like you and I. And the women that followed them were the same. Ordinary people that Jesus came to. But one thing made them different, and that's that they were following the Savior. And they believed that he was the Messiah. Then when Jesus had said to them, go to Jerusalem and wait, they went in simple obedience. Jesus had left them. What else would they have to do? So I, I can just imagine that, well, they got back to that room that they had rented from somebody. I guess it was a rented room. And they waited there. They obeyed the master because they had seen so many times in that 40-day period that Jesus truly had risen from the dead. And then he had ascended. They saw him go up into heaven. So they decided, we've got to wait, guys. We have to wait. So I can imagine, maybe it was a room this size. There was about 120 that uh, met there in that room. What do you think they did? What would you do? What would we do? Well, I think they began to think back over what they had learned of Jesus for three years. Jesus had said, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. They had recalled that. It says, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit hadn't been given. This was several weeks previous that Jesus had said this. Receive the Holy Spirit. I truly believe that they did have the Holy Spirit in them before the Holy Spirit came. Because Jesus had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had already been given. 
in the person of Jesus Christ for all those those years that Jesus had spent with them. The Holy Spirit was there. So it wasn't like the Holy Spirit was just sitting in heaven the whole time. No, I don't believe that. The Holy Spirit is a person and not someone that is just in and out. He was resident in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Remember that? He was tempted of the devil. Jesus was. And the Holy Spirit was there bringing the word of God, the promises of God, to Jesus. And it was by the Holy Spirit that he was led there, and it was by the Holy Spirit that he was sustained. So when Jesus breathed on them, it was like this was the precursor or the authority in which they could receive the Holy Spirit. Reminds me of Genesis 2.7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I believe that the disciples became Christians at that time. I believe that they had the Holy Spirit in their lives because no one can believe except the Spirit revealed the Father to him. And so they had received the Holy Spirit. Ephesians talks about, this is Paul writing, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, and just as you also were called in one hope of, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Those are words of, of Paul in regards to what the Holy Spirit brings to us. And these in the 120 that were gathered in that room, I believe, had unity. They were of one heart and mind, and there was one spirit that had brought them together. And they stayed for 10 days. And so when they were together there, there was such an understanding, I believe, that, hey, this is really important. It's kind of like if there's any one thing that you should obey, we better obey to stay and wait. And they prayed. These guys hadn't been very good prayers up to that time. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was about to be captured and judged, they fell asleep. So there was a change there that happened in their lives. They got it. They understood, we need to obey this. This is really important. And that's what they did. Because the Spirit of God was there. The church is born in prayer. Prayer is very important to us. And we count it as very important when we gather together in this room, on our Sunday mornings together. You know that that is one of the highlights of Sunday morning for me, 
as a pastor that not all of you can come on Wednesday night when we gather in this room, but there's so many of us here now that we can join our hearts together and we can become one. So it's a tremendous opportunity for us to have a prayer meeting in the midst of our church service. I count it as a a privilege for us to be here and to pray for one another. It's really important. Just as Jesus said, go and wait. Prayer is extremely important to the life in Christ. Thank you for putting up with me at prayer time, maybe even calling on you to, to stand along somebody who just shared a prayer request. I would like to do that with every one of you, person next to you. So be careful who you sit next to. They might have a a prayer request and you might have to pray for them. Keeps us on our toes, doesn't it? It works. The church is born in prayer. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women. Now, what does that mean, along with the women? Luke 18.1, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You know what I've observed over the years in the church? It's not true for all churches, but a lot of churches, there are usually more women than men in prayer meetings. And when Katie and I came to MCC, two years ago, we were shocked. There was a regular prayer meeting that met upstairs. Once in a while, there'd be a woman in that prayer meeting. But it was mostly men. Really? Men ought to always pray. We haven't got any other thing uh, up our sleeve. We better pray and ask God to help us. And so for the year and a half that you were without a pastor, the men were praying. And I think that is the reason why we have been able to go through these last two years and see God bless with his blessings, blessing after blessing, because of prayer. We were meant to pray, men and women. And we thank God for those women that he's added to the men's prayer meeting on on Wednesday evening. And now it's about 50-50, isn't it? But we still, as men, we still take the lead. But that's great. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth. A helper and he, that he may be with you. Not an it, but a person. The person of the Holy Spirit is in our lives if we have confessed Jesus Christ as Savior. That's phenomenal. That we carry the Spirit of God in us because we have believed in Jesus Christ. The church is born in prayer. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You give us each day our daily bread. 
and you forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And you lead us not into temptation. Do you notice something funny about this prayer? What is different about this prayer? How many times have you said the Lord's Prayer? It's not in the same context. And Katie and I, in the last, oh, ten years or so, have understood that the Lord's Prayer is not petition, petition, petition. It's statement, statement, statement. And if you look carefully at the original language, it says, either you or I give us each day. In other words, if you say, if you leave the you off, it's a petition, isn't it? Give us each day our daily bread. But if you acknowledge that you are praying to the Father who already knows your name, and we know that he has promised that we'll be fed and clothed like the flowers in the field. I don't believe it's error to put that you in there. Father God, you give us our daily bread. It's not, please give us our daily bread. It's a statement. He says, why worry about the things of the world? Won't he give you what you need? Yes, he will. I would love us to change the tradition of saying the Lord's Prayer with, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. You give us. It's you who give us our daily bread. And you forgive us our sins. And you lead us not into temptation. Because... He's our Father. Learn to call Him Father in your prayers. I don't think you'll ever hear either Katie or I ever say, God, hear our prayer today. We may say, Father God. But more often than not, we will just use Father. Learn to pray that way. He is our Father. And we don't have to beg Him. He has our help on the way because we are his children and because the Holy Spirit resides in us. The church is born for prayer. And then, C point, the church is born to proclaim. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages or tongues. We hear them in our own tongues or languages speaking of the mighty deeds of God. What were these people talking about that had received the Holy Spirit? What did the disciples, what were they talking about? They were talking about the mighty deeds of God. I believe in tongues as a spiritual gift. I believe that it is given by God and it's, it's not something that we in the church should fight each other over. It is a legitimate gift. 
We don't talk a lot about it in this church. But I acknowledge that the Bible talks about it. Paul says it is legitimate gift. It is a legitimate gift. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. It is a gift. But in the church, there is such misunderstanding about what it means, the gift of tongues, that it is confusing, controversial, and we just kind of push it off to the side and say, well, we're not going to talk about this because it's a real touchy subject. But I believe that it is a gift that God gives. And if God gives you that gift, listen very carefully. Because what it's going to do, the language, I believe, of the Holy Spirit is one of proclamation of the great things of God. They're not just for me to babble on. They're to project out to other people, proclaim to other people how great God is. The Father is. That's what the purpose of tongues is about. It's not just to make me feel good. Oh, I have the Holy Spirit. No, you had the Holy Spirit before if you were really a Christian. And it's not the sign that you have the Holy Spirit. There is nothing in the Bible that says tongues is a sign of the Holy Spirit in you. That gift is not for that. It is for the proclamation of the gospel. And so we need to be careful. When, if you've ever been in meetings where they say, well, you want to speak in tongues? I'll show you how to speak in tongues. Just say hallelujah as fast as you can. No. What a desecration of a gift of God. That's ignorance. God has, has gave a specific reason that those people that were gathered in Jerusalem would understand that God is at work. When they heard that violent sound and rushing and the flames of fire, they knew that God, the one who was promised all through the generations that he would send his Holy Spirit. It was there for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. And that's what that gift was for. And as they came out of the upper room and out on the street and people heard them speaking in these languages, it says that uh, Peter stood up in the midst of them taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. He was like an announcer. Hoy, hey, listen to me, listen to me. Let this be known and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk. This is what was spoken of in the prophet Joel. It had been promised hundreds of years before that this would happen when God filled his people with his spirit. That's why Pentecost is a very important event in the church that we should celebrate every year. That we have the Holy Spirit who has come to reside in our lives. 
He's our helper, our teacher, our, our guide. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Yeah. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at that when you're home in Joel chapter 2. An incredible, incredible prophecy that took place for us, his people in the church. Friends, we need to trust the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have the word of God And if you're just a new believer, a new Christian, it it looks so confusing to try to understand all of this. It's written in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding of what it is. When you read your Bible every morning and it gets kind of dry sometimes, Father, My heart is just kind of dry this morning or I'm tired. And Could you just show me something special in your word today? Where is the Holy Spirit? In our hearts. He's not way up there. I want to share something very personal. Katie and I were raised in Christian families. We both accepted the Lord when we were children. Katie was three. I was 11. God was very personal to us. Jesus was, had come into our lives as Savior. We both knew that. We had gone to Bible college. We had done well in our classes in, in, in Bible college. But there was something missing in our lives. We had all this head knowledge here. And we happened to go to some meetings in Seattle and they were talking about the Holy Spirit. And they were talking about speaking in tongues. And we had grown up thinking, well, this is Pentecostal, this is charismatic, and we shouldn't be here. But what we understood from our friends was very precious to us. Even though there was funny things going on, Yet the Lord was leading us to understand who the Holy Spirit is. And so we asked the Father, give us an understanding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I was teaching a Bible study in uh, Seattle. We were living on the other side of the lake from Seattle. And one evening, I drove, was driving across the... Uh, Evergreen Floating Bridge. Some of you have been in Seattle. That was a uh, a bridge that uh, was floating, but it was a cement bridge floating, if you can imagine. But anyway, driving across that. And I said, Father, I want the Holy Spirit. I want him in my life. I need him. Teaching these Bible studies... Yeah, I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's why I went to Bible college. 
and driving across the bridge, which is a pretty dangerous thing to do anyway, even when you're not closing your eyes or whatever, I'd always felt like the Father was far away. Jesus was far away. And as I asked him, show me what the Holy Spirit is, who he is, I realized right there on the evergreen floating bridge he was here. He wasn't up there. The Holy Spirit was here. I went to that Bible study and uh, it was a Chinese Bible study by the way in English. (laughs) And I didn't speak in tongues by the way. That was the best Bible study I ever led. Because I realized I already had the Spirit of God because I had believed and received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that was good enough for me. And I went home after the Bible study. I don't think Katie and I really talked about it and I was kind of wondering, how do I break this news that I understand that I have the Holy Spirit? Because we had talked about it a lot. And so... Finally, I guess I did share, and you said, well, honey, a couple of weeks ago, I did, had the same experience, and you didn't tell me about it. <laughs> but it was, you know, ever since then, ever since I came to that place of really understanding who the Holy Spirit is, knowing that because I had accepted Jesus Christ, he had sent and given the Holy Spirit in my heart. And from that day, we have never doubted that we are baptized into the Holy Spirit. And he's in and around us and through us. And it's to his credit to actually, not to the Holy Spirit's credit, it's to Jesus' credit for what Jesus did for us. If you're having a hard time in your Christian life, trying to really understand what is the Christian life all about. You can't do it on your own. You need the helper, the Holy Spirit, in your life. I really encourage you. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. And the Lord, the Spirit of God, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You know that that is my favorite blessing? Why is it? The Lord, Father God, bless you and keep you. He's the keeper of Israel. He's the keeper of all those who put their trust in him. God the Father. And he sent his son, the Lord Make his face shine on you. The Lord Jesus Christ, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The law came to Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And the third Lord in that blessing, I believe, is the Holy Spirit. The Lord, the Spirit of God, Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the sign of the Holy Spirit 
as a, as a dove. The sign of peace universally is a dove. May that be true in your lives. The Lord bless you. We love you. We thank the Lord for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are of one mind and heart. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives these days. Thank you that we can share in this matter with one another. Truly understand who you are and what you do in our lives. And for those who don't know you, Father, would you open up their hearts and their minds and their eyes to receive the blessing that you have for them in accepting Jesus Christ as Savior in receiving the Holy Spirit, our helper, our guide, our teacher. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.